And now, you're catching up with Peach. What's up? What's up? Welcome back for episode two, week two of Catching Up with Peach. And happy Monday. I hope your Thursday is going great. And for those of you who had a three-day weekend, I hope you soaked it up, enjoyed every minute. And I also hope your Saturday had at least a little bit of college football in it. And uh, I mean, a girl can hope, right? So (laughs) you can already tell I got my coffee again, as always. Today we got a little dark roast, uh, still with that hazelnut creamer, though, which means we're ready, ready to go. And this week, I really would like to start to try to get that uh, outline that structure, um, a, honestly, a sense of stability. I, I told you last week we needed to kind of set a foundation, and I want to provide stability. We all need a little more stability in our lives, so I can try my best to give it to you. And uh, speaking of stable, let's jump into headlines. And off the bat, someone who has been a stable force, not just in the tennis world, but in sports in general, is saying farewell to the game and walking away from the court. And yes, you guessed it, Serena Williams, one of the greatest of all time, played what we believe to be her farewell match, her last match Friday uh, at the U.S. Open. And uh, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a couple tears anytime an athlete walks away. It just kind of just kind of strikes, you know, the emotions. And for those of you who are just strong and can um, can deal with all of that, that's great. I'm proud of you. It's not I. Um, if you hear a little bit of like reserve in my voice, it's just because maybe it's because of Tom Brady uh, only having a 40 day retirement this past year. I'm hesitant to really say a retirement for a champion such as Serena is final. Um, I don't blame these athletes for, for the fact that it's hard for them to walk away when they still have a little bit more in the tank. So all of that to say, going to be lots of articles and interviews and notes and um, things to come in the weeks and months and the rest of the year uh, commemorating Serena and all that she has done for the sport of tennis and just for sports in general. So from Serena, we move on to the WNBA playoffs. No, we didn't talk about this last week, but we are in the WNBA playoffs and The WNBA is split into two conferences, and there are six teams in each, totaling 12. And with the semifinals, now we are down to the last four teams. So the Las Vegas Aces and the Seattle Storm, and then the Chicago Sky and the Connecticut Sun. The semifinals are this week. Um, Obviously, I'm recording on a Monday. You guys will get this on a Thursday. Um, So Tuesday the 6th. Uh, is game four and then on Thursday the eighth would be game five and these semifinals are best of five series and then the finals which start on Monday are best of five as well. Two names I want to throw out at you to know from there would be Becky Hammond. She is the Las Vegas Aces head coach and it's her first year and it's always fun to see a first year coach have a push for a championship you know, in their inaugural year, right? And then Sue Bird with the Seattle Storm, she was drafted in 2002. She's 41 years old, and this is her final season. And her name will be up there in the conversation of WNBA greats for a long time. And a lot of folks now would say she is the best to have done it to this point. 
So moving from Serena to the WNBA, the last thing I want to talk about here in this headline section kind of falls more in the news to know section or category. So headlines, news to know, these things are going to be overarching, not necessarily, you know, sports specific. I mean, they do belong to a specific sport, yes, but it's kind of like, hey, these are overall discussions. These are overall headlines. Like, just because Serena's tennis, Serena covers the whole sports landscape. Uh, And this last point is about golf. Now, golf this year has had some major rumblings to it, if you will, because of the formation of something called the LIV or the Live Circuit and the tournaments that they've had. And what this is, this tournament circuit was formed as kind of an alternative to the PGA. Now, the PGA, the Professional Golfers Association, has been around the longest, and they have had kind of the corner market for golf tournaments. Anytime you watch, you know, the Masters or anything like that, that is the PGA. But this organization, this tournament, this alternative that was funded by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, go ahead and say that three times fast, why don't you? Uh, It was also led and kind of constructed by Greg Norman, who is a retired decorated golf professional, Um, has a lot of accolades to his name. It has a bigger purse and purse is what you call the like the winnings for golf and there's not a cut to it. So a lot of times in golf tournaments, there are a couple days and there's like a cutoff. There's no cut for this, you know, these live tournament, which as an aside, LIV live, those Roman numerals add up to 54 and there are 54 holes for each of these tournaments that are being played. This has brought over players from the PGA, like Phil Mickelson. He's kind of led the charge. Um, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, to name a few. So we kind of have this like underlying split going on in the golf world. And really the question lies, is this going to last? How much does this change golf? Is it good for the sport? Is it bad for the sport? But just the dynamic of golf as a whole is changing due to this LIV, this live um, circuit that has been created just this year. Okay, we got the news out of the way. Let's go to highlights. What happened this weekend? College football. Ah, what a first week. And you know, we're starting off with Ohio State and Notre Dame, which was our game of the week to watch. Ohio State took home the victory 21-10, to and honestly, it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't necessarily what people expected. Ohio State had a killer offense last year, and with the return of C.J. Stroud, like we mentioned last week, we expected kind of that same caliber of offense. Caliber came out really funny, that same caliber of offense. That's what we expected to see, but really, it was just a display of defense, I mean, 21 to 10, not quite what we were anticipating. And I think part of that was the fact that one of those Heisman hopefuls, I didn't give you his name last week, but Jackson Smith Najiba for Ohio State, he had a leg injury. He's a wide receiver. He had a leg injury early on in the first quarter, and they were without him for the rest of the game. And still to be determined how serious that injury is, but then you rely on you know, more of your supporting cast. Travion Henderson had a good game and also Mayan Williams, a running back and a name I really wasn't familiar with until the game. And it's always fun to see those 
those players that step up that are coming off the bench. And I'll be intrigued to see if we uh, hear Mayan Williams' name quite a bit more in the coming weeks. So OSU Notre Dame, that was the result there. Okay, UGA and Oregon. I just got to say, okay, Stetson Bennett, you showed up and showed off. This was his first game as a starter, and we talked about him last week being the returning MVP from the college football championship, and this kid only had six incompletions, six. So that means only six passes that were not completed, for those of you keeping score at home, and really looked poised, strong. Oregon, you were ranked 11th. And came in and lost 49-3. to No, I didn't misspeak, 49-3. to So let that just speak for itself. Uh, on to the other game, Florida and Utah. Now, Florida has a first-year head coach in Billy Napier, and they were hosting Utah, who came in ranked 7th. Though the final score of 29-26 to in favor of the Gators would make you double double take there and say, really, Utah was seventh? Well, hey, anything can happen in the SEC, especially in the environment like the swamp at Florida. And if you have a couple minutes, watch the highlights from this game. The last play of the game, Utah is trying to score a touchdown to come from behind. And wouldn't you know it, Florida intercepts it in the end zone and an awesome first win for the Gators. And they're going to look to carry that momentum into week two. And uh, we'll probably talk about the Gators at least once more today. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the other top 25 matchup was Arkansas and Cincinnati. Arkansas won 31 to 24. And then we did talk about Alabama last week in terms of just being an elite team. We talked about Nick Saban. Uh, they showed that elite status this first week and they won 55 to nothing over Utah State. And that's to be expected. Crimson Tide fans probably wouldn't have been happy with anything less than that. But worth noting, Bryce Young, their quarterback, was the Heisman winner last year, and he holds the record for most passing yards in a game at Alabama. And that is elite company. Like, this isn't just some run-of-the-mill, you know, school. This is Alabama. So that, that speaks volumes. And we're not done talking about him, but we'll get back to it later. Okay, we've talked about last week, so now it's time to look ahead. This will be split in two sections because the NFL is here. The day that this comes out and you're listening to this, or whatever day you listen to this, but the day that this comes out, Thursday, the first game is happening that night. But before we get to the NFL, let's look ahead to the college games coming this weekend. All right, college game day is going to be in Austin, Texas this week because the Texas Longhorns are hosting... I use that term loosely, the Alabama Crimson Tide, and you can watch that game on Fox at noon. And I need to put a little asterisk here. Last week, my fun fact for you was that this is the 35th year of college game day. Let me correct that and sharpen that for you. We have had 35 years of college game day. We are in the 36th year. Okay, 
The second game to watch would be UK, the Kentucky Wildcats at Florida. And we've already talked about Florida coming off that huge upset win against Utah. And Kentucky's coming off a 37-13 win against Miami of Ohio. And really, I think this will be a battle of the quarterbacks between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. So catch that game at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. And last but not least, USC and Stanford. That's a Pac-12 showdown, 7.30 p.m. ABC. And you may be saying, that's not even a top 25 matchup. Why would you talk about that? Because those Pac-12 rivalries, anything can happen. I mean, guys, we're only in week two. There's a lot of movement that's going to happen over the course of the next couple weeks. And you just never know. But if you want a top 25 matchup, it's Baylor and BYU. 10-15 ESPN. There you go. After a sip of coffee, we are ready for the pros. Some of this will be repeat, but I just want to give you a little refresher. Heading into week one of the NFL Thursday night's game is the Buffalo Bills at the Los Angeles Rams. Josh Allen and Matthew Stafford. We talked about them last week. Josh Allen, an early MVP candidate, and Matthew Stafford, the defending Super Bowl champ. That's going to be at 820 Thursday night, NBC. Sunday holds the bulk of the games, and really, I could have picked any game. I mean, fresh start, clean slate for these guys. We had ha- we have had a couple weeks of preseason, but really, this is where it all starts, right? Preseason is just kind of working out some of those kinks and, you know, getting back on the field. This is where it really matters. These wins and losses matter. But I chose to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Dallas Cowboys, and that's really because of the the quarterback situation we got here. So Tom Brady, like we mentioned last week, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 45 years old. How does he start out of the gate? And then also worth noting, his one of his prime targets since he's without Rob Gronkowski is Chris Godwin. But Chris Godwin suffered an ACL injury week 15 last year, and we still don't really know if he's going to be ready to go day one. On the Cowboys side of things, Dak Prescott leads the charge there, and they won their division last year, the NFC East, and they have an absolute beast of a defender in Micah Parsons. He's an early defensive player of the year candidate because last year in his rookie season, 13 sacks. That is impressive. Uh, That game's going to be 8-20 Sunday night, NBC as well. And last but not least would be our Monday night football game again. We talked about the headlines with this last week, but the Broncos are going to Seattle. And Pete Carroll, who's the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, is like, it's not going to be any different with Russell Wilson on the other side. Okay, Pete, we'll see about that. And we'll see about that at 8.15 on either ESPN or ABC. Um, Okay. That rounds out looking ahead, and I think I've probably already given you quite a bit of names and numbers, so let's head into names and numbers to know, and we've already mentioned a few of these, but just wanting to solidify a couple important names and numbers. And first up, we mentioned her from the jump, Serena Williams. And not just a name to know for sports for this week or even this month, but a name to know for culture for this entire year. We're in the back half of 2022 now and closing out the year slowly but surely. Yes, we have quite a few more months left. Don't panic. Uh, But an icon, just an incredible moment for her and definitely kind of a 
a mile marker, if you will, for this calendar year. And while she's finished at the U.S. Open, play is still in full swing. And I want to give you a couple names to watch because it's all over ESPN, ESPN2 right now. Coco Golf is an 18-year-old American, and she is just owning it. So fun. And then on the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz, a 19-year-old Spaniard. And when I think about what I was doing at 18 and 19 years old, I'm pretty sure I wasn't playing in front of thousands chanting my name. And that's just, it's incredible. It's fun to watch uh, those young kids handle the stage with poise. Also worth noting is Francis Tiafo. True story. I recorded the names to know earlier this morning, Monday morning, and I said, whoops, I got to come back because Rafa Nadal is a name to know in tennis as a whole. But for this tournament, Francis Tiafo said no more and beat Nadal earlier today, Monday morning, or Monday afternoon rather, in five. And that was a fun electric game to watch. I mean, you want to talk about serves that were 125, 135 miles an hour, just sheer power, um, sheer athleticism, so fun. And then also worth mentioning the number one on the women's side, Igas Viatek. And yes, there's definitely a chance I said that name wrong. I did my research, tried to figure out how to say it. Everybody's got a different take. So those are some names to know for the U.S. Open. Bouncing back to football, a couple names to give you. Anthony Richardson, the quarterback for Florida. And we've already talked about the fantastic game that they had, but he really was not on my radar. And I mean, yes, he probably was on some people's radars, but not on mine. And really just jumped into this Heisman conversation. And we'll be looking forward to seeing what the rest of his season looks like. We've already talked about Bryce Young out of Alabama, just Eyes on him. Definitely a front runner early for the Heisman as well. And then Stetson Bennett uh, showed up and showed out this past weekend. Uh, we already mentioned him. So those are just some names to know and my names, if you will, takeaways from week one. Moving from college to the pros, uh, Josh Allen. Yep, talked about him already as an early MVP candidate, and alongside him would be Justin Herbert, and alongside in the MVP candidate race, he's the quarterback for the Chargers. And then Lamar Jackson, uh, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, we touched on him last week. Uh, I say electric when I'm describing quarterbacks that can play with their feet, you know, and they're on the run and can move pretty well. And they start out, the Ravens, they start out playing the New York Jets, and Sorry to any Jets fans listening, the truth does hurt, but I don't know if he could play against kind of an easier opponent to start. So, you know, I think the expectations are pretty high for him coming in to see if he can, you know, provide that spark that we've been anticipating all summer long. We've also talked about last week Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers, Tom Brady. We've already mentioned him as a name to watch in the game I gave you with the Bucks and the Cowboys, and then Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll with the headlines there. All right, let's switch gears and go to baseball. And I had to re-record this section as well because Aaron Judge, as of today, now has 54 home runs. And we had talked about him as kind of a home run machine and nothing has changed in the past week. So he is now seven shy of tying Roger Maris's record for the Yankees that he set in 1961 with 61 home runs. So... 
there's like this home run tracker going on for Aaron Judge, but then we've also got a home run tracker on Albert Pujols with the St. Louis Cardinals. He has 695 as of today, and that means he's one away from tying Alex Rodriguez for fourth all time. And then as far as active players go in Major League, he's got the most by quite a bit. So keep an eye on Albert Pujols and that home run tracker. We got one in New York and we got one with the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, some fun numbers to know kind of along the lines of the things I just told you. The home run record is 73 set by Barry Bonds in 2001. And the other number I want to bring up would be two years, 1974 and 1975. And that's the last time that we had a Heisman winner go back-to-back. You have schools that'll go back-to-back in Heisman winners, but as far as the same player winning it back-to-back years, that's only happened once in 1974 and 1975, and it was Archie Griffin out of Ohio State. So Bryce Young out of Alabama looks to become the second ever to do just that. Okay, so this is the part of the episode where I would want to give kind of like a a personal opinion or a hot take or my two cents, and I don't know if I have anything major, and I've probably alluded to some of my opinions along the way. I I just, it's hard for me to believe Serena's really finished. She this last game she played, it was fantastic to watch. Uh, still like, still looks like she's got more left in the tank. Um, I am personally looking forward to watching Anthony Richardson out of Florida, that quarterback I've mentioned. I just love a good dynamic quarterback that can move. Um, and he just had some really heads-up plays this past weekend. Another thing system or team really that I'm looking at is the Indianapolis Colts. So Matt Ryan was with the Falcons for a long time and now he's with the Colts, but he also has a really good running back named Jonathan Taylor. I'm just interested to see how those two work together and play off of each other. Um, So yeah, those are just a couple of my personal opinions on the day. Maybe depending on the week, I'll have a little bit more of like a passionate, passionate discussion or conversation. Um, But that's all I've got for my two cents today. So to round out uh, episode two, let me give you a couple definitions. I think in the world of sports, part of what can be so confusing is the terminology. And two things I want to talk about today in the world of football, since that's kind of where we are right now heavily. And one's going to be the pocket. So think in your brain for me about, you know, the play starting football. You're watching, you've got like the offensive line and the defensive line and they're, you know, lined up across from each other because they're the lines. And the quarterback is behind, um, whoever's on offense, the quarterback is sitting behind his, you know, offensive line. That U-shaped area kind of behind those Uh, offensive lineman is what is called the pocket. And so you'll hear people say, oh, he's a great pocket passer. That means he has great vision and he's very efficient and effective when he's staying in that little U-shape behind his offensive line. If you hear someone say, oh, he is really good on his feet scrambling outside of the pocket, that means that he gets out from being in that U that you shape or that invisible you place on the field. He's out from behind his offensive line and can move with his feet and scramble um, outside of the pocket. So hopefully that provides a little clarity. The other thing, offsides and a false start. They are the same thing. They're just called something different, offense versus defense. Not confusing at all, right? No. So if you false start on offense... It's called a false start. Oh, we love it when things make sense. If you false start on defense, 
it's called offsides. So defense, offsides, offense, false start. Couple definitions. I just want to set you up for knowing a little bit each week. I mean, I could probably do a whole episode just on some definitions, but that would, you'd need a couple cups of coffee for that because it could get a little snoozeville. But anyway, a couple definitions to finish out today, finish out week two. And as always, I'm super thankful you were here. I'm grateful to be on this journey with you. And I am very much looking forward to week two in college football and week one in the NFL. And I hope you are too. Uh, Let's not forget about those WNBA playoffs. And yeah, baseball's still in full swing. And Hmm, I do think there is something with soccer coming in a few weeks, but you'll have to stick around to hear about that. We'll see you next time. And then Lamar Jackson, uh, the quarter-mac, quarter-mac. Ah! <sighs> This is why I don't record in the evenings.